Welcome to the long game with LZ and Leach for the recount of ACAST, where every week we talk about the biggest stories in sports and how they impact culture, politics, and business. I'm the very happy Rams fan, LZ Granderson. He's Will Leach. I won't speak on how he feels. Will Leach has been a longtime fan of the Arizona slash Phoenix slash St. Louis football Cardinals. He knows he's not supposed to be happy, and why would this morning be any different? Anyway, LZ, before we'll get to that level of pain, we've got a very full slate today, starting with our top stories of the week. We'll kick things off by discussing those NFL playoffs and our long game fantasy playoff draft. LZ, we are tied heading into the divisional round, even though the Arizona Cardinals, I think, should count as a negative four points for me. I still couldn't be more pleased. I think I've got you right where I want you. I guess that means ahead. <laughs> it means tied. That was the goal. The goal in the first round was to tie, to lull you into a sense of security. Does it really feel like a tie, though? And then pounce. Does it really feel like a tie? It, I know it feels like better for me than a tie because all the top teams that are going to make the Super Bowl are mine. After that, Will, since one of the largest online betting markets in the country just launched in New York State, I think it's time that we talk about the rise of legalized sports gambling. And if it's just a matter of time before, you know, they really fuck things up. All I know is it's delivered more Darren Rovell into my life. And so already gambling has been damaging to sports. Hey, did you know some of my best friends are black? (laughs) Wow, that's awesome. I have no further questions. And later, the NBA season has reached the halfway point. So we're going to break down the most compelling teams and storylines and look ahead to what should be a wide open playoffs. I just hope it's wide enough to include my Knicks. I think you're going to need an ocean-wide playoffs in order to include your Knicks. I'll take it. Play in. Is there a play into the play in? <laughs> and then we'll wrap up the show with a great This Week in Sports History segment, this time featuring Joe Buck's horrified comments and reactions to Randy Moss, fake Mooney, the fans of Lambeau Field. Plus, we've got our games of the week and our blunders of the week. But hey, well, mm. before we begin all of that, what's your sports mood like? This is a long time question about when your team plays a big game, would you rather lose in heartbreaking fashion? Would you have it just be a total wipeout from the beginning to where there's no doubt about it? I actually handle the blowouts easier because I make my peace with them more quickly. I will think about the Cardinals losing that Super Bowl to the Steelers forever, not only because it was a bigger game, but because they really had a chance to win that game. I will never remember the game that got blown out against the Panthers, and I will definitely never remember last night's game. The Good Lord. There was a stretch there in the second quarter where I thought, okay, you know what? It's only 14-0. The Rams have dominated this game in every possible way. The Cardinals took their fifth drive to get to positive yardage. Never a good sign. Never a good sign. But nevertheless, I'm like, it's only 14. I've seen this Cardinals offense. They've had moments. And then Kyler Murray did his backwards left-hand four-yard pick. Rams pressure is picked up. Kyler! Did he get rid of it? It's intercepted! It's David Long! Into the end zone for the touchdown! Troy Reader got the hit on Murray. Nearly had him for the safety for two. Instead, it's six, and it's a Rams touchdown. I don't even think you can call it a pick six if it's only four yards. It should be a pick four. It was absolutely miserable. And at that point, you realize, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. I have many, many thoughts about Cliff Kingsbury and the direction the Cardinals are going right now, because I still think they have talent. I still think that Murray is a guy that I 
think you can generally build around, even though his rookie contract is about up now and it's harder to build a team around a guy getting paid as much as he's about to get paid. But this is the third straight year the Cardinals have collapsed down the stretch. I know it doesn't seem that way because they haven't made the playoffs. No one got to watch it all on a Monday night on like 40 different ESPN channels. Do you know how hard it is to shut off 40 different ESPN channels <laughs> at halftime? It's very hard. It was an absolutely miserable game. I would argue, though, that the Cardinals were so pathetic in that game that I don't feel like we should waste any more time talking about how terrible they were. Because I have to say, I've been a little skeptical of the Rams. That Rams team last night looks like a team that could win the Super Bowl. It's really amazing to me that there are people who are naturally or genuinely surprised at the outcome. And I just keep repeating this same factoid over and over again. They won the toughest division in football. Three teams with 10 wins. To be fair, one of them was the Cardinals. <laughs> the Cardinals, who at one point had the best record in the league. They were 7-0 and at one point, and people were thinking Kyler Murray was an MVP candidate. Yep. So th this idea that the Rams did the impossible and that people are shocked, they won the toughest division in football. That speaks to a level of consistency that constantly gets disrespected by the simple fact that they went out and traded for Matthew Stafford. And whenever people hear Matthew Stafford's name, they think about the Detroit Lions. And while it is true, he spent the first 12, 13 years of his career in the NFL with the Lions. That doesn't mean that he's not a good player. <laughs> Barry Sanders played with the Lions and he has as many playoff wins now as Matthew Stafford. <laughs> Calvin Johnson's in the Hall of Fame. He doesn't have a single playoff win to his name. So. It's amazing to me, Will, mm. that people are like going, holy cow, did you see the Rams? It's like, holy cow, have you been watching the Rams since Sean McVay was hired? <laughs> I mean, they're a good franchise. Generally speaking, they've peaked at the right time. Yep. The Cardinals obviously have not. Remember, the Cardinals won their opening game this year. They wiped out the number one seed in the AFC on the road. Right. They really came out of the gate gangbusters this year, and it's just fallen apart. And again, this just keeps happening under Kingsbury. I mean, I want to credit the Rams. They did look great. The Cardinals, I don't even know what the plan was last night. There really seemed to be no coherent strategy whatsoever. The Rams, I think, were responsible for the fact that they were able to run the ball down the Cardinals' throat, which is a very good sign for the Rams moving forward. But offensively, like Cliff Kingsbury is here supposedly because he's some sort of brilliant offensive mind. This is the stretch where they were supposed to do something these three years. Now they're starting to get a little bit more expensive, starting to get a little older. I'm concerned. I feel like the Cardinals made a good charge at the Rams, who I think clearly are the class of the division. And arguably one of the teams that's the class in the NFC. The Cardinals have made a run at them and it's not worked. I feel like the Cardinals are not going to be holding up their end of their part in the best division in football because I think they're taking a step back. I'm super impressed with the Rams. That Bucks game, we'll talk about that in a bit, looks like it's going to be awesome. It looks like it's going to be a terrific game. Certainly a better game than the Cardinals would have given them. Please don't let me talk about the Arizona Cardinals anymore. It was so hard to watch that. It, it reminded me a little bit of when you like spend a lot of time practicing with your kid before he plays a baseball game and then he gets out there and you find yourself not even caring whether he wins or loses you just don't want him to get hurt you just want him to be okay <laughs> and i found myself holding my eyes as if i'd watched my son strike out six times and run to third base i really did not want to see that happen on the big stage i swear the cardinals have not been like that all year but i understand that people think that they have all right lz let's continue this conversation hopefully not mentioning the Arizona Cardinals anymore, with our first big story, the NFL playoffs and our quite competitive for now fantasy playoffs draft. And Cincinnati's a playoff winner. 
for the first time since 1991. And the Bills strike first on an excuse me touchdown from Josh Allen. The Buffalo Bills stampede into the divisional round. They beat up on the Patriots. 47 to 17. Wow, I am livid if I'm a Cowboy fan and if I'm a Niners fan. That's the fan. end of the game. The yeah. game is over. The game is over and San Francisco survives and advances. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win it by 16. And Bruce Arians' team is moving on. Kansas City wins it. And the Rams aren't done yet. It's some razzle-dazzle Hollywood style. That, my friends, was the sound of some of the best moments of the super wild card round of the NFL playoffs, which concluded Monday night, as we all know, with my LA Rams defeating Will's Arizona. What's the name of your team again? I thought we weren't going to talk about that team anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, while you continue to lick your wounds, Will, I hope you'll suck it up and preview this weekend's divisional round action with me, which starts on Saturday afternoon. I'll be drinking margaritas, in case you were curious. And as good as I feel right now, I'm going to feel even better when I win our first ever The Long Game Fantasy Playoff Draft, which is looking very possible. Here's how things stand so far. The Rams, Bucks, and 49ers all won for me, and the Bills, Bengals, and Chiefs all won for you. We both have three points, so we're tied head-to-head into the weekend, though the Rams did beat the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. However, we're only facing off against each other in two of the four games. Saturday afternoon, your up-and-coming Cincinnati Bengals go up against my number one-seeded Tennessee Titans, while on Saturday night, my surging San Francisco 49ers take on your top pick, the Green Bay Packers, who Aaron Rodgers has never beaten in the playoffs. Sorry, I'm a little excited for this matchup. <laughs> and then on Sunday, I've got both the Rams in Tampa Bay and you've got Buffalo and KC, so we're both assured of getting at least two points there. That means it's all about Saturday, Will. So let's get into it. Are you ready to concede or do you think you still have a glimmer of hope of winning this draft? I am not prepared to concede. Sorry. That would <laughs> take a lot of the fun away from the get-go. No matter what, I'm going to win. I, I will get into the why and how in a moment. But... <laughs> I will say, I do hope the games are a little bit more compelling this coming weekend. I love that they branded it super wild card as if he's going to get spandex and join the MCU or something. <laughs> but half of the CBA was about getting this extra playoff. I really do not feel these playoffs would be any worse if they had not had the Eagles and the Steelers in it. Those are some lousy games. Obviously, the Rams, I don't remember who they beat, but I just remember they beat them very soundly. That was another kind of lousy game. The Cowboys 49ers game was the only real compelling game of the weekend, which is a shame because it was also the Nickelodeon game, which I think would have made the game compelling one way or the other. I know people talk about the Nickelodeon game every year. The reason I love it is because the NFL takes itself so seriously and so gravely that sometimes you just want to see some people pour some goddamn slime. on. on them. You just want to see it. I don't know any of those shows, but I'm just glad to see slime going there. So I'm hoping this next week in these games can be a little bit more compelling. People always talk about this in the NCAA tournament, right? They always say, sure, we want the early upsets, but what we really want are the great teams playing each other in the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, and the Final Four. We love Northwestern State, but we don't really want them to make the Elite Eight. We want them to get an upset and then get out of the way so Duke can play Kansas. I think we may be seeing that in the NFL playoffs now. As much as it might have been fun to see a wild upset, it's hard to argue these are not clearly the eight best teams, which sets up, I think, some pretty compelling matchups. I hear what you're saying about the games, and I actually found most of them to be compelling just for different reasons. Case in point, there was a good stretch there in the first quarter and almost a quarter and a half of even that Steelers-KC game 
where it looked weird, right? Like, <laughs> if it was going to be a blowout, it just felt like it should have just started right away. Instead, you looked up, and Pittsburgh was up 7-0, to zero, <laughs> yeah. and we're in the second quarter, and you're like going, what's going on here? Is this interesting? And so I stuck around because... It started off in a compelling fashion. Now, obviously, the score ended up being the score, but I was just intrigued because of the slow start that KC had. And there was a very good reason why I chose the Raiders over Cincinnati when we were doing this draft. And I think you saw that on Saturday. Yes, Cincinnati advanced. Yes, Joe Burrow looks legit. Yes, him and Chase have this synergy together. They still almost lost that damn game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they had it. They, and, yeah. and the Raiders played an awful game between the penalties, the poor execution of plays, and yet there's seconds left in the fourth quarter, and there's an opportunity there for the Raiders to force a tie. So I hear what you're saying in terms of the outcome, but there were moments I felt in each of those games that still made them worth watching, if not for a quarter or at least a half. There were some big moments, like the Bengals winning their first playoff game in 31 years is a big deal. That's a long time. I think we'll be talking about that Dak Prescott play at the end for a long time. I understand why it happened, but I will say if I were a quarterback and I were trying to hike the ball with two seconds left and the ref ran into me, I might get a little bit frustrated. Oh, my gosh. The official gets in the way. The game's over. The game is over. Oh, he did. I don't know if I said necessarily encouraging the fans to throw things on the field like Dak did afterwards, but that's why you need the cooling out period, I guess. Hold up, man. Can we talk about that ending for a second? Yeah, please. Because that's a terrible play call. Yeah, I mean, that's the beginning of that conversation. Not the refs, not Dak didn't slide early enough. Your options are two opportunities to get in the end zone or one opportunity. And Mike McCarthy thought one opportunity was good enough. (laughs) That's the beginning of this conversation. And if I recall, when we were doing the draft and we were talking about Aaron Rodgers only being in the Super Bowl once, I made the the (laughs) comment that, well, the reason why is Mike McCarthy and his management of time and his play calling has been a question basically his entire career as an NFL head coach. And the fact that we're acting as if Dak Prescott should have slid earlier as opposed to why in the hell are you running (laughs) to begin with, (laughs) I think is really the heart of the conversation and the reasons why the Cowboys are the Cowboys. They need to own up some real truths and not try to pretend as if the world wasn't against them. They would have won five Super Bowls by now. Definitely no more aggrieved franchise, put upon underdog franchise than the Dallas Cowboys. I like Dak Prescott. I didn't think that was really the best look after the game. I know we live in a world now where everyone's supposed to hate the refs because if something bad happens to us, it couldn't possibly be because of any of our own deficiencies. It has to be because someone was uh, biased against us and trying to take it away from us. Encouraging people to throw things at the ref and say, well, yeah, I mean, I understand what people think. It's probably a good thing they ran out of there. Yeah, they were, they were, they were, they were, credit to them then. That's what I'm saying. Oh, credit. Credit to them. It was trash, man. Yeah, I feel like you're not supposed to do that. 
You can be angry at the refs. You can say they made a big mistake. Encouraging your fans, particularly kind of lunatic fans that will sprint in, as we saw in that video of the Cowboys fans sprinting into the stadium when it opened. Those are lunatic fans anyway. It just doesn't feel like the great time to be encouraging mob violence against establishment <laughs> and institutional figures. It just, I don't know, maybe that's just me. No, no, it's not. Especially when you've had as many pre-snap penalties as they were accumulating. Is that the object of the game, to yeah. get as many penalty yards as possible? What is happening here? But anyway. Fortunately, they're not, they're gone. Cowboys are gone. Bye, Cowboys. See you. I will not think about you until Jerry Jones shows up and creeps me out uh, again. So now we can talk about other teams that are still alive. And so we have four, I would argue, pretty compelling matchups this weekend. I'm curious which of those four, and you can pick the Rams if you'd like, but which of those four do you find the most compelling and we'll get into our, our draft and what we need and who we'd have to win. But just the games themselves, which do you find the most compelling? Oh, 49ers versus Green Bay Packers. Interesting. That probably would not be my pick. Go on. Why? Aaron Rodgers has never beaten his team in a postseason, yeah. as I said earlier. Yeah. In years past, he's been able to blame the play calling, fluke accident, all sorts of reasons why someone who arguably is the most talented player to ever play that position has only managed to get to one Super Bowl. Last year, he, he wanted bad weather, yeah. and it still didn't work out. Like, you're out of excuses, man. You are literally out of excuses. And I know a lot of people like to say that the Rams are in a Super Bowl or bust position. They're not. It's really the Green Bay Packers yeah. who have already told the world that this is likely Aaron Rodgers last year as a Green Bay Packer. And from what I've saw from Mr. Love, no shade, you ain't ready yet. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> to me, if there's a team that's Super Bowl bust, it's the one that has the likely season's MVP who's already said, I'm leaving, whose team said, we're in agreement, you're leaving. It seems like they have to be Super Bowl or bust. And the team that's coming in is really a team that's knocked them out of the playoffs three times already. And if you ask me, Looks like they're ready to do it for a fourth time because that team is playing right at the right moment. And I know people like to rip on Jimmy G and for good reason. Throws are awful. He made that Dallas Cowboys game way more competitive than what it needed to be with that Aaron throw into the interception. I get all of that. But he also wins a lot of freaking games. And he wins a lot of freaking games in the postseason. And when I think about the hallmarks of a team that goes deep into the postseason, one of the, the biggest things is a running game. And if they're going to keep on using Debo, who I mentioned during the draft, mm -hmm. as amazing. the most exciting player, oh, yeah. and Will, you saw why I felt that way this oh, weekend. Yeah. If they're going to be throwing that dude back there saying, yo, go give us five, he's going to give you 10 and might break a collarbone of one of the Packers <laughs> in the process. So I'm just saying, I think that game is going to be very, very interesting. And if there's ever a moment in which the Wizard of Oz is going to have the curtain pulled back, this might be it for Aaron Rodgers. You lose at home to this team with all the things you got going for you, who else are you going to blame, man, but yourself? Yeah, particularly after the year he has had, both on and off the field, it would be hard to imagine anything. Wait, 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 wait. hold on, hold on. Let me get my foot up here. Oh, oh my God. My... Okay. No, 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 wow. No. We're not on Twitch yet. So people oh, didn't, didn't get to sorry. see your toe live in real time. But just yeah. so you know. I was going to show you my podcast toe. Boy, I, what about you? I feel like I could hear Rex Ryan sweating somewhere. To me, the most compelling game, 
I think it's got to be Bills Chiefs. You know, this was the AFC Championship game last year. These were the teams I think generally considered to be the favorites heading into the season in the AFC. And I would argue even heading into the playoffs, all due respect to the Titans. Who looks better than the Bills right now? <laughs> like Josh Allen looked unreal. I understand that Bills fans were very excited to kind of exercise a lot of Patriots demons. I don't know if you can play a lot better than Josh Allen played against that Patriots team. He did that against a Patriots defense. This is not a vintage Patriots right. defense, but he was incredible. I have argued for a long time that the Bills winning the Super Bowl is one of the biggest stories in sports. A longtime tortured franchise, one that famously lost four Super Bowls in a row, or yes, made it to four Super Bowls and lost all four of them. However you'd like to say it, either way, it's hard to watch your team go for Super Bowls around not win them. A team that's been in danger of moving on several occasions. A team that means a lot to a community that is a large part of NFL history. This is as good a team as they have had in a long, long time. And they seem potentially poised to win this year. I do feel like the winner of this game should be considered, I would argue, the clear favorite in the AFC Championship game, even if they're playing at Tennessee. This feels like the best chance Buffalo is going to get for a while. Meanwhile, you've got Kansas City, who has come around late after a very difficult start. You've got Mahomes trying to make a third straight Super Bowl. This was a compelling AFC Championship game last year. I think it's a just as compelling uh, divisional round game this year. I don't know, Will. I don't think the Chiefs look right. I know they were able to make a late push, and they've won a lot of games towards the second half of the season to put themselves in position to possibly secure that number one overall seed. I, I get all of that, but one, it's really hard to do what the Bills did back in the 90s, which is hold on to the AFC Championship and go to Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl. You're asking them to do that. You're asking them to do something that the Patriots have done. I don't know if they look like those Patriots teams. I don't know if they look like that Bills team that went to four straight Super Bowls. So this idea that they're going to go to three straight, I'm not sure if they're there yet. They just didn't look right to me. They really didn't even look right to me for most of the first half against the Steelers, mm. to be quite honest with you. And you're right. The Bills, they look like world beaters. But we also know that the Pats did not come into the postseason looking good at all. In fact, there's an argument to be made that they came in looking worse than the Steelers, <laughs> you know, in terms of execution, in terms of QB play, in terms of defenses. So I don't know if Josh is willing to step up based solely upon the performance against the Pats, but certainly they look as if they're a team to be reckoned with because of the physical manner in which they play. And oh, by the way, when he does decide to run, that's not an easy tackle. Yeah. He's looking to lay wood on people. Yeah. He ain't trying to slide. He ain't running out of bounds. <laughs> He's like, earn it. <laughs> and you got to like that when the guys are young and they run like that. But I can see why you think that's more compelling game. I just think that given the history of Niners versus Green Bay, for me, that one just has a lot more juice. Of course, the other games are, of course, Bengals-Titans on Saturday. That's the early game. And then 49ers-Packers after that on Saturday. And then Rams-Buccaneers. Are you making the trip to Tampa? Are you going to get yourself to Tampa? I'm not going to go to Tampa because I don't want to risk it. I understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like just saying the word Tampa or Florida classifies yeah. us as exposed, according to the CDC. It's just a risk. Though, I, I will say this. I fully expect the Rams to win that game comfortably. Interesting. I, I fully do. Wow. For a couple of reasons. One, they've beaten them comfortably since Tom Brady's gotten to the Bucks, without Von Miller, Cam Akers, or OBJ. I just think that the way that our defense has always been constructed was to go after QBs just like Tom Brady. 
those nice yeah. stationary figures who want to stay in the pocket, who won't be much of a threat to run, that guys like Bond and freaking Aaron Donald mm. can tee up on. There's a reason why the Rams have been able to beat them comfortably, right. and it's because of the fact that that defense go, oh, you got an old guy back there. That I can handle. <laughs> it's the mobile quarterbacks we have a problem with, but this one? Oh, yeah, we like this. Well, you didn't have too much trouble with the mobile quarterback last night. One thing this playoffs has missed, and one thing we really have not gotten for a couple of years, is that collective, let's not use any other word for it, other than joy when Tom Brady loses a playoff game. People love it. <laughs> People love it when Tom Brady loses a playoff game. So uh, we'll see if that happens. Certainly, uh, that would be a joyous occasion for not just Rams, but I think America in total. So just one game we didn't get to much was Bengals Titans. That's the first game on Saturday. I have been high on the Bengals for a while. I felt good about it last week, and I've been down on the Titans. The Titans are favoring this game. I kind of like that Burrow-Chase vibe right now. I'm probably crazy. Like, he's freaking good, man. I think it is underappreciated how good Burrow has gotten so quickly, particularly because three years ago, he was the backup at Ohio State. So to see what he's doing now is pretty remarkable. I really like the vibe they have going right now. I like the vibe they have going as well. I just don't think it's their time. And speaking of time, I don't think they're going to have a lot of time to be out in that field to showcase what they can do because the Tennessee Titans, they're into time of possession. And they have the running game that helps secure us that time of possession. So while it is true they're exciting offense over with the Bengals side, I'm not really sure you're going to see a lot of it. I think you're going to see a whole lot of Derek and a whole lot of grimacing from the Bengals' defense with each and every down. (laughs) I'm just saying if this game's close late and Cincinnati's got the ball. Burrow will either take them to a game-winning touchdown drive or will have one of those moments that in five years in a montage going into the Super Bowl, there's like the moment when I realized what it took to make it as a big quarterback in this league was that interception I threw in Nashville back in January 2022. Back when we are all living in our, whatever the next variant is in 2026. Remember living in that age, we'll be like, remember, remember back in the Omicron days of Joe Burrow in January 2020. I'm rooting for the Voltron variant. That just sounds cool. The Voltron variant would be amazing. Just the Omicron, the Delta, the Alpha, the, all of them coming together <laughs> and roaring at us like big tiger robot cats. So just to re- recap one last time, Bengals, Titans. I have the Bengals, which you mocked before and they won. Uh, you have the Titans. Barely. Barely. And then 49ers, Packers. You have the 49ers. I have the Packers. And then you have both the Rams and the Buccaneers on Sunday. And I have both the Bills and the Chiefs on Sunday. So no matter what, no one's wrapping it up this week, LZ. We're going to continue to battle it out, and you will continue to trash talk me, and I will continue to put up my fake confidence to pretend that I can possibly keep up. All right, well, let's move on to our next big topic, the rise of legalized sports betting in America and whether or not the sports that we know and love are doomed. One, two, one, two. Am I a hero for launching my new Caesar Sportsbook app? That's for other people to say. You are all heroes! By that, I don't mean you're a sandwich. Jesus! That was the great J.B. Smoove appearing in an ad for Caesar Sportsbook, which seemed to be playing on a nonstop loop during the NFL playoffs this past weekend. 
Since the Supreme Court lifted the federal ban on sports betting in 2018 by striking down the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, 30 states, plus Washington, D.C., now allow it, with New York becoming the latest and most populous state to do so when it launched its mobile sports wagering program on January 8th. It's also likely that within the next year, another nine states will have approved legalized sports betting, so it could be prevalent in almost 80% of the country very, very soon. What's more, and perhaps what's more key, all of the pro sports leagues in the NCAA now actively embrace gambling after actively opposing it for decades. Leagues have made lucrative deals to sell the proprietary data to sportsbooks. They have partnerships with all the major betting operators. And there are sportsbooks in two NBA arenas, Phoenix and Washington, and one that will operate adjacent to Nationals Park in D.C. The NFL estimates that will rake in about $270 million from sports gambling this year. And that number is projected to grow to at least a billion dollars annually by the end of the decade. My concern about this is that over the last 100 years, only one thing, not PEDs, not athletes in trouble, not labor issues, one thing has been powerful enough to destroy the integrity of sports, and that's gambling. We've seen it in baseball. We've seen it in college and the NBA. It does not seem like a stretch to me to think at some point there will be players or coaches or referees actively trying to lose games or at least shave points to secure high financial gain. And if that happens, all sports connected to betting will be seriously damaged. I think gambling on sports is bad, and you shouldn't do it, and leagues should not be involved in it. LZ, am I overreacting? Am I being too crazy about this? Or do you think my concerns are legitimate? Um, I think you're overreacting. All they're doing is taking all the scum that used to happen in the darkness and just put it in the light. <laughs> That's all. They're not necessarily introducing anything that hasn't been going on basically since sports began. I'm pretty sure the Greeks, though it's kind of hard to imagine nude athletes holding chips. I'm sure they found <laughs> somewhere to hold the chips. They found an orifice somewhere, yeah. Somewhere, and they were able to gamble in the midst of the Olympics when they first started. Listen, I get that there is an aspect of nostalgia that's dying with this transition, but the way that we remember sports back in the day was never real to begin with. The NCAA was never really protecting students. Referees were barely able to pay rent. You don't think any referee in the history of refereeing took some money underneath the table. Do you not think athletes who have done some of everything in terms of crimes, you think this is the one crime they avoided? No, of <laughs> course not. So my feelings are, that it's better for something that people are going to do anyway to be out in the open so that we can have honest conversations about it, as opposed to trying to pretend as if that's not happening so we can have dishonest conversations about it. Give me the former, not the latter. Okay, so two things on this, and they're separate. So I want to keep them separate, though. I think they're both bad. One is the idea of throwing games or, or shaving points. Yes, I agree. This has happened before. There's no question about it. Not just the times we know about it. This has happened before that we have not realized. But we certainly know with the Black Sox, we certainly know with Tim Donaghy, which was a huge deal, right? Back in 2007, NBA Commissioner David Stern had put the charges against referee Tim Donaghy, who actually ended up pleading guilty to two felony accounts. He admitted he passed information to gamblers and bet on games, including some of which that he actually officiated. People still think that the Suns may have lost the playoff series over the Tim Donaghy thing. That may be an overstatement, but clearly when I tune in for a sporting event, I don't think it is unreasonable for me to assume that the teams that are playing are doing their absolute best to try to win. 
people say, well, athletes make so much more than they did 100 years ago, which is true. I'm not worried about a massive World Series betting scandal. But you can bet on everything. You can bet on a Division II soccer game that's happening in a field that has like five people playing there. And I understand, sure, well, who cares about that game? I don't know if people play it do. People that are invested in the idea of sports happening do. The whole point of watching games is that they're supposed to be on the level. I'm not saying all of a sudden every game is no longer on the level, but it certainly raises the possibility of it, which leads to the second thing, which is the league's involvement in it. It's yet another thing for the leagues themselves to go from just 15 years ago saying that this is something we have to keep out of our game until all of a sudden they realize how much money they could make off of it. Leagues don't want you to gamble. They want you to lose. That's where the money is. That is really where the money is. On one hand, you can say, oh, but leagues are just trying to get money off of the sports game and get their piece of it. That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is sports leagues are saying to their fans, we want you to lose more money probably than you are capable of doing. Because listen, it's one thing to say, this has been going on, and that's totally true. You can't tell me that these constant Caesar Sportsbooks ads everywhere and the leagues constantly be involved in this are not going to mint a bunch more gamblers, gamblers that would have not been there before. There are countless studies that talk about how destructive gambling can be to people with addiction issues, for people that get too far out of heaven, they make mistakes, and it can lead to suicides, it can lead to alcoholism, Gambling is destructive. Like gambling is a legitimately destructive thing for a lot of people. Not everyone. But, but lots will. of people. Lots of people are able to do it fine, but lots of people aren't. And there are going to be more of those lots of people as this becomes a larger and larger part of society. But will you know what's also destructive? Alcohol. But we figured it out. We figured it out by saying people are going to make choices. Some of these choices aren't going to be good for them. We're going to try to have a safety net for people who make choices that aren't good for them, but we aren't going to stop everyone because of the possibility that a handful of people may find themselves in trouble with alcoholism. And I'm not trying to minimize the impact of this addiction conversation. I am not. What I'm saying is clearly we have decided as a country that we can manage it, or at least we've come in some sort of agreement when it comes to alcohol use that... We're going to not restrict people from being able to make these choices, but erect these systems in place so that we can help people who make bad choices. We can do the exact same thing for sports gambling. And in a lot of ways we have. I remember tons of radio reads that I've done for sports gambling in which I was required to talk about the fact that it has addictive properties and who to call in case you need help. That was all part of the advertisement. Hmm. So- And I see what you're saying. It's imperfect. It is absolutely imperfect. I see what you're saying, but I do think there's a difference between leagues having sponsors and being okay with you drinking beer at the games and leagues being directly financially involved. These leagues having these deals with the sports books, not only are you saying, hey, if you need help uh, paying the money that you actually owe us, please call these numbers and do it. I think that's the difference. To be very clear, I don't like sports gambling. I've never liked sports gambling. I actually feel like I love sports too much. (laughs) The story I always tell about this is I made one bet in my life. A friend of mine was in Vegas and he called me when Illinois was playing a basketball game against Pennsylvania in the NCAA tournament. Illinois was a six-point favorite. And he said, I'll put some money on it for you. And I found out halfway through the game, he put $100 on it. This was during a time in my life where $100, if I lost it, we were going to have huge, huge problems. (laughs) So I'm sitting there, I should be so excited, right? Illinois, they're up by like five. 
five with two minutes left and I should be so happy. And I didn't, it was miserable because I had to make sure I didn't lose a hundred dollars in this thing that otherwise in my life provides me so much joy. I feel like the stakes are high enough for me on sports because I really truly love these games. I grant that that is a personal thing and everybody feels that way. However, I do think there is something different when the leagues themselves are huge parts of this. I mentioned in the intro, they're providing proprietary information that the rest of us don't get. Statistical information they are giving to these sports books. That right there feels like putting the hand on the scale at a certain level. I think you're right about the idea that there's a lot of stuff that sports leagues are involved in that we've all made a quiet piece about. This feels like a breaking through of that to where the call is coming from within inside the house would probably be the best way to put it. And I'm worried about it. Listen, hopefully I'm wrong. But there have been many times throughout sports history where they have thought, okay, gambling is not an issue. And then something happens, they have to make a bigger deal out of it. It wasn't long ago that Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays were getting suspended for being greeters at a casino. I don't understand why technology made that moral calculus change. Because that's why all this is changing, right? You can bet so much more easily than you used to be able to. And now you can do it everywhere. I, I don't think it's just technology. I also think it's sensibilities. Once upon a time, if a woman wore a pair of pants, she was stepping out of bounds. <laughs> you yes, know? I like, agree. So I, I, think our, I think our cultural sensibilities have also changed and we're no longer trying to pretend that we're this purest nation that don't have premarital sex and would never gamble. You yes. know, it's like- I don't, I don't think it's a puritan. I mean, yes, I agree. Women should be able to wear pants. You were going to say women should not wear pants. I heard yeah. you. Oh, sorry. No, no <laughs> pants. No pants. Hashtag ally. But the point, <laughs> the point is- Hashtag <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I am not a puritanical preacher. Like, I'm not a pilgrim. I do tons of things wrong all the time. I occasionally even curse. <laughs> I know. But certainly, I don't think that it's a, it, as simple as we used to be more concerned about this sort of stuff. Gambling is just as big of a problem as it always was. Women wearing pants was never destructive. Gambling is like a destructive thing that we have decided that because we can make a lot of money off it more easily, we are going to accept. The idea that somehow sports has been like, human nature has changed. No, they've just decided they can make a bunch more money off it, which is fine. Right. We live in a capitalist society. I get it. I'm just saying you're cracking the door open for a lot of potential problems. Hopefully I'm wrong. Please come back when we're doing the show in five years and it's all freaking fine. And I want to be one of those people that 10 years ago were like, we will never accept fantasy football. I hope I'm wrong. And I hope this is just something, a personal bias against gambling that I am overreacting to. I really hope so. But I don't think so, to be honest. I think that one of the aspects of this conversation that doesn't get talked about enough is just how have sports fans been conditioned to accept fudging results already, right? Mm -hmm. It's a running joke that Commissioner Stern had like a frozen envelope and the little turnstile little thing and he pulled out Patrick Ewing for New York. That conspiracy theory is still out there because fans were starting to wonder if what they were watching play out was actually playing out genuinely to begin with. And then teams started blatantly losing games to get better playoff positioning or hmm. losing games to get better drafting position. When you're tanking for players and you're doing things like starting backup quarterbacks or playing guys who you know aren't very good, but if you lose a couple more games, you might get to secure the number one pick. Fans have all witnessed all of that. So we've been conditioned over decades now to accept fudging results to get an outcome that we prefer as opposed to playing as hard as you possibly can and make the best team or best person win. 
We gave that up long ago. When the Black Sox thing happened, we were still uh, trying to pretend as if everyone who was on the field deserved to be on the field. We were still trying to pretend as if there were no external situations or circumstances that was impacting outcome. But now we've grown up. We've had Watergate. You know, Donald Trump was president. That's another, that's another exactly. So, I mean, we've seen enough evidence now that we're just conditioned to accept that there might be some shenanigans happening in sports. Why? Because shenanigans have been happening in sports in front of our faces and we make jokes about them. So what you're saying is a lack of trust in institutions has led to the profligation of potentially dangerous conspiracy theories. Whew, fortunately, I hope that only sticks to sports. I hope it is a crossover into the larger world. I hope so, too. But I didn't create the tank for two thing. That was somebody else. Okay, well, let's take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to talk about the current NBA season, which just reached the halfway point last week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, Will, we're back. First game since June the 10th. Eligible to appear in road games only. This is for the win. Oh, it's good. R.J. Barrett wins it for the Knicks. With the deflection against Bay. Oh, oh my God. What an incredible block. Stop playing with us, man. Put some respect on our name. You just heard highlights from the current NBA season, which just hit the halfway point a few days ago. We haven't talked much about the NBA yet, but I think it's time that we fix all that, Will. And I think the best way we do that is by breaking down the most interesting teams so far, which should give us a window into where the league is right now and where we think the league is going come playoff time. Now, we have dominating franchises like Golden State, Phoenix, and Utah. We have exciting young teams like Memphis and Cleveland, a couple of favorites like Brooklyn and, of course, the champions, the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm -hmm. And then there are the disappointments, such as your New York Knicks and my L.A. Lakers, which both could still make noise come the postseason if things break out right. After years of decline, TV ratings are up because there are so many incandescent stars to watch in the NBA right now and at least eight teams with a legitimate shot to win a title. So, Will, to kick it off, why don't you tell me what do you think is the most fascinating team in the NBA right now? Oh, there's so many. I'm loving this season. I, I, even though my Knicks, who, are, by the way, are still in the playoff chase. Are they it, really? I'll put it this way. They are as close to first place in the Eastern Conference as the Jazz are to first place in the Western Conference. And that tells you a little bit how that's going. 
I feel like there's one clear win in each league. In the East, I still think it's Brooklyn. I know Katie's out for a while, and there's a whole Kyrie situation, but these are still three incredible stars. We'll see what happens come May and June with Kyrie. The hope is Omicron will fall enough to where there might be a loosening of restrictions on that. I'm not saying it's cool. I'm just saying if I'm the Nets, making a bet on whether or not he's able to play in the playoffs feels like a bet worth making, I would say. And also the Nets, by getting these three guys together, I feel obliged to point out, they are getting more expensive. They are getting older. There's not that much time. You're seeing teams like Memphis exploding. You're seeing the 76ers figuring stuff out. You're seeing the Bulls figuring stuff. There's a lot more challengers, it feels like, to the Nets than we've seen in the past. It feels like they're on the break. In the West, I think it's got to be Golden State. Think about all the drama of that team and everything that's gone through it with KD and, and Clay getting hurt and then Steph getting hurt and everything that came with that. If they were to win the title this year, this would be the Steph years of all Steph years. For them to have the second best record in the NBA and be a team that could really win the title is kind of remarkable and I think would be Steph's ultimate achievement for obviously an inner tier Hall of Famer career. So those are the teams each side, but there's so many compelling teams and so many compelling stars, so many emergent guys. I can watch John Morant do anything right now. I would watch him play chess. <laughs> I think the second half and particularly the playoffs are going to be pretty exciting. I hear what you're saying about the Nets and yeah, they're fascinating because of the names that are attached to them, but we just haven't seen them come together in any way that feels legit or real or sustainable right now. They're like cilantro. You get dashes, you know, and you can taste it, but we're not getting a whole lot of it for a variety of reasons. I'm actually looking at the Chicago Bulls. Love it. I think the Chicago Bulls are a fascinating team because people are really sleeping, not just on DeMar DeRozan and not just on Zach Levine, who last season was a 50-40-90 guy, but they're kind of sleeping on Lonzo Ball, too. Yeah. And what he brings to that mix. And we remember, obviously, the shortcomings when he was with the Lakers. Kind of got lost in the sauce when he was in New Orleans. But he's really starting to come into his own with the Chicago Bulls because he's not being asked to save the franchise. He's asked to be a competent point guard. <laughs> and oh, by the way, he's a really competent point guard who's big and athletic and is now knocking down open threes. I think that this three-headed monster in Chicago is legit. I love what Alex Caruso, when he gets back healthy, brings in terms of championship medal. And I know that sounds hilarious that Alex Caruso has championship medal. No, but guess what? Good. When it was time for Frank Vogel to decide who was going to be the starter for game six of the 2020 championship, when there was an injury, Alex Caruso was the guy he chose. And they finished off the Miami Heat. So he's a really good player, tough, underrated. I love what Chicago is doing. And in the West the Memphis Grizzlies, and John Moran. Yeah. I'll admit, there was a small part of me that thought he won Rookie of the Year because Zion wasn't available for much of the season. But the only reason why I felt that way was because I was convinced the media was already ready to give the award to Zion Williamson, regardless of how Ja was going to play. But now that everyone's got a chance to really look at not just the fact that Zion's not out there because of injury, but what he looks like when he is out there versus what Ja Morant looks like when he's out there, it's hard not to see Ja Morant as the better player, period, whether Zion is available or not. And that's no shade on Zion, though he does need to get in shape. But it's just about how spectacular Ja Morant really is. And I tweeted this a little bit ago. 
This will has a real 1984 NBA draft feel to it, mm. where the Portland Trail Blazers, they could have drafted Michael Jordan, but decided to go with who again? Sam Bowie, mm-hmm. who had foot issues. Fast forward to, what was it, three years ago or whatever the heck, they had an opportunity to draft John Morant, but the Pelicans went with the guy with the foot injuries. Yeah. <laughs> and John Morant is already being compared to Kobe. <laughs> yeah, there's a Greg Oden Durant vibe to here a little bit of the big guy getting hurt and the athletic guy going after him. I don't know if I've seen a more impressive thing in sports, physical, actual thing than Morant's block against the Lakers. That was oh unbelievable. Gosh. It felt like he fell from the sky. Avery Bradley with the deflection against Bay. Oh, oh my gosh. What an incredible block. And it's funny because. You can literally see him chasing him down. Yeah. So you knew he was going to try to block it. I was really prepared for him to nip it with the finger. Yeah. And you know, like, you good for you. Play, that was amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When you look <laughs> at the play, Avery Bradley really couldn't jump from the position where he was at. He doesn't get a lot of bounce off the ground anyway when he attempts to lay up. And I thought Ja was just going to get enough of it to stop it from reaching the rim. But I wasn't expecting him just to catch the ball and be like, what the hell are you think you're doing? That's, that was a, how yeah. dare you block? <laughs> he went to Murray State. College basketball is obsessed with all these top recruits. And he went to Murray State. How in the world that happened? I love all the teams here. I still feel like one way or the other, this is coming down to the Nets. And, and I say that because I know you're right. They've not really gelled a lot. But that stretch where the three of them were there at the end of last year heading in the playoffs, they were unstoppable. I love the idea of chemistry and getting guys to play together well. But there's also something to be said for three of the top 10 basketball players in the world all being on the same team. I'll be honest, Will. I never believed in them to begin with. Okay. I, I don't want them to win. This is I, not this, who I'm cheering it's for. It's not a I don't want them to thing. It's just, let's compare them, if you will, to the original team that started this big three conversation, which would be the Boston Celtics, when Danny Ainge pulled mm-hmm. that trigger. KG was able to lead a team to a Western Conference final. It was once, but he was able to get a team there. Ray Allen, deep runs into the postseason as the leader of that team. And then obviously Paul Pierce was able to make the Boston Celtics relevant. Even when they got rid of Antoine Walker, he was able to keep that ship going. So individually, they had shown an ability to not just put up big numbers and be all-stars by themselves, but be leaders and get teams deep into the postseason. Kyrie hasn't shown you any of that at all. I mean, he's won a title. Not even, not even close <laughs> to that. James Harden is constantly being joked on because once you get into the postseason, he goes from being this beast to this mouse. Yeah. Field goal percentage goes down. He's not as efficient. The conversation is he doesn't show up in the biggest moments of games. That's been his hallmark. And KD, he was able to help lead a team to the finals against the Heatles back in 2012. So he has shown an ability to get a team deep into the postseason as leader of that team. So I give him a pass in this conversation about him moving to the Golden State Warriors and not proving it individually. He's proven some things. But Kyrie and James Harden, they entered the postseason having proven shit by themselves. And now you're asking them to somehow be the super team? Now, when you look at the Heatles, obviously Dwayne Wade was already a finals MVP before they formed. LeBron James had already led a team to the finals. And then Chris Bosh had done a fairly good job of having them Mm -hmm. consistently be in the second round when he was with the Toronto Raptors before he went to Miami. So individually, they had shown something. Again, none of this is what Kyrie (laughs) 
has yeah. really shown. And some of it comes with a question mark in terms of James Harden. So that's the reason why I'm like, eh, I'm not really sure yet. Last thing on the Bulls, no league had gotten more obsessed with tanking and how to get rid of tanking than the NBA. This was like this massive problem. The NBA has always tried to fix it, whether through lottery, whether and so on. I have to say, I love it when teams do what the Bulls did. In the offseason, people mocked the Bulls. Oh, well, you brought in inefficient players who are good and in big moments, but you're like a five or six seed. Are you really going to win a title? And they were rewarded for it. In the same way that people mocked the Knicks for it last year, for bringing in guys to try to raise the floor on the team. To see teams do what the Bulls did, to try to get better year by year and just see what happens. Lonzo's here, let's get him. DeRozan's here, let's get him. Levine's here, let's get him. We're just going to bring in good players and see what happens. You want to see that rewarded, and I think the Bulls, even though they're in a four-game losing streak right now, I do think that that has been rewarded in a way I think is good for the NBA in general. Who's your MVP midway through? I think it's still Giannis. (laughs) I think it's still Giannis. I think they're really good. He's obviously answered that question of, can he be that guy in the finals? He clearly was able to do that last year. I actually think if the 76ers move up a little bit more, Embiid has an argument. I think that he's been terrific and he's also been healthy. Every time he's been in the lineup forever for them, they've been great. When he's not, they're bad. He's carrying them. We'll see what they do at the deadline. It feels like they've got to do something. We've waited this long, but I feel like there's an argument for Embiid as well. Uh, you? John Morant. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I got no, I got no problem with that. I'm not going to overthink it and try to figure out how they're winning and why are they so good and why they keep beating these really good teams. I'm going to accept it. And if you accept it and you ask yourself who's the MVP, you're like going, well, shit, it's him. <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> like, it like people are working hard not to give him the MVP vote. <laughs> yeah, it feels too early, right? It feels it's too early. early. He's too yeah. young. Let's wait <laughs> right. to see what they do against this team. Oh, they yeah, won. Yeah. Well, what yeah. about this team? Yeah. Oh, they won. When you have the MVP, (laughs) that's usually what happens. (laughs) We got to talk about our own teams. I'll talk briefly about my team. The Knicks, I like the Reddish trade. I think it's kind of no risk for them. Yeah, it doesn't really hurt them in any way. If they get in the play-in game, I'll be happy. I'd like to give them above that. But this was never a championship contender. I just want the Knicks to not embarrass me. And the Arizona Cardinals embarrass me when they play on big stages. But obviously the Knicks are a little lower for the Knicks than they are for your Lakers. How are you feeling about them down the stretch here and everything with all the drama they've kind of had? I don't think we're as far off as our record shows. I really don't. And it's not because I'm being a homer. It's because I know what that team looks like with a healthy AD. Mm-hmm. And I know that engaged LD, which has been a problem. And an engaged and healthy AD. Yes. That that has been a problem. And maybe people talking shit about him will get him fired up again. Yeah. But when they have a healthy AD, they're just really, really difficult to deal with. I also know that Plink is going to pull the trigger on something and it's going to work out. You have to remember this is a brand new team. Yeah. Other than THT, AD, and Braun, everyone else in the squad is new. And they don't practice. In a lot of ways, these games are practices for them. Frank is still trying to figure out what's the best rotation. So a lot of the failures that we're seeing has to do with the fact that these are new guys that didn't practice together and not the fact that they're inherently are a bad team. That's the reason why I'm optimistic. And oh, by the way, it's clear that Bron's trying to win the scoring title. And if Bron wins the scoring title, that means he's doing so efficiently. And so Brian averaging 30 points on 50% shooting. Yeah, I just feel good about that. <laughs> I just think the league's better when the Lakers are, are are doing something. I agree with you. I think they're not done at all. 
All right, Will. So if, if we're pretty set on who's the MVP and we're pretty set on which teams we personally are invested in and where they are in terms of success and failure, do you see the Knicks coming out of the East? And if not, oh, clearly, who? <laughs> clearly, obviously. I'm, I'm embarrassed that you even had to ask me that question. Well, you um, know, no. <laughs> looking at Julius Randle's defense, I can see why you would feel oh, yeah. that way. Speaking of people that are not always engaged... I think it's Golden State. It feels like there's something good going on there. Like everybody else, I'm discounting Phoenix just like I did last year. And I have to say, I'm picking Brooklyn. I still feel like there's something there when they all get them together. I don't like it, but I do think Irving's going to be able to play home games by the playoffs. That's maybe hopeful about the pandemic a little bit, but I can see that happening. And if that happens, it gives them an upside that nobody else has. I agree with you with your pick as of right now with Golden State coming out of the West. But the East belongs to the Bucks, man. Ever since Giannis said KD was the best player in the world, he's been eating their ass up. <laughs> <laughs> it was like he did a switcheroo. Yeah. Oh, my God. KD, he can't be stopped. And then he goes, click, and now I won't be stopped. It's been quite remarkable seeing this. I really think the only player in the league right now that gives Giannis any legitimate issue is Braun. And just because Braun has the perfect combination mm-hmm. of size and strength, KD's just too little to fuck with Giannis like that on the real. I mean, I'm just being real with you. And anyone else is probably just too short to really fuck with him in a real way. This is Giannis' league, man. And KD might be a better scorer, but in terms of physically impacting the game night in and night out on both ends of the floor, I mean, that dude's just a beast, man. He truly is unguardable. Okay, Will, it's time for This Week in Sports History, where we break down an event from the past through the lens of 2022. Moss! Randy Moss is in for a touchdown! Oh, Al Harris playing off, bit up on the route, and Randy Moss, without even really being able to run as he shoots the moon to the fans here in Green Bay. That is a disgusting act by Randy Moss. That was Fox announcer Joe Buck's response to Hall of Fame wide receiver Randy Moss fake mooning the Green Bay crowd after Moss caught a touchdown pass in the Minnesota Vikings wildcard playoff win over the Packers just a little over 17 years ago. At the time, Buck neglected to mention that Moss was actually just having fun mocking the fans in Green Bay who actually mooned the Vikings whenever they boarded their team bus at Lambeau Field. While Moss was fined $10,000 by the NFL for his edgy celebration, it was actually Buck who ended up taking the most heat for what many people thought was an overreaction. However, to this day, Buck still defends his words, even though he gets made fun of for something like Queen Victoria. Now, Will, what do you make of the incident now, and how would people react if this happened, say, last weekend? Okay, it's still hilarious that Joe Buck did this. It's still hilarious. I, it's, it's even more hilarious that he still defends it, though he does kind of defend it tongue-in-cheek uh, a right. little bit. I thought That's it was over the line. That's so different. that was my gut reaction, but I my living is made on gut reactions, and I have to go with my gut. One of the few good things about social media is making fun of sports announcers during games. That's kind of the fun of it. Right. Remember that station back in the 70s that did a game without any broadcasters and people were like, ah, must know who to yell at. I miss the people that I want to yell at all the time. <laughs> the fun of social media is pulling out this dumb thing that someone said or how they shouldn't have said this thing over there. If Joe Buck would have said this today, 
I honestly think he would have had to comment on it before the game was over. I don't know if it would have been a Tom Brenneman thing where Tom Brenneman had to go back and basically announce during a home run that he was going to be off the air for a long time. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4-0 ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. Obviously, what Joe Buck has said is not as offensive as that. But clearly, the backlash to Buck saying that would have been huge and massive immediately. He would have become a trending topic within seconds and probably would have commented on it during the show. I would also argue there's another aspect to this, too, which is how Randy Moss was perceived at the time. Yep. And 1,000%. Randy Moss was seen as this huge troubled guy who was always looking to get into some sort of mess. When you go back and look at the incidents that he was involved in, I think that we would treat them a lot differently now, and there'd be a much better Randy Moss vibe. Listen, Joe Buck doing that was silly and ridiculous, but also he was playing off this idea that Randy Moss was a problem and maybe needing someone like, say, Joe Buck or the Fox broadcasters or the audience to keep him in check and make sure he does not get out of line in that situation. I don't think there's any question that that was a factor that I would hope anyway would be lessened now. And this is the beauty of it all. He was more upset about the black guy fake mooning the crowd than the white people actually mooning the black players. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying Joe Buck is a racist. Please do not misconstrue that at all. However, you can't act as if his reaction to the fake mooning doesn't have something to be said <laughs> about a lack of reaction that we all have had to the actual mooning that was going on. Including Randy Moss, who obviously found <laughs> right. it kind of funny. Therefore, he made fun of them about it. Right. So I'm sitting here and I'm just remembering where we were nearly 20 years ago yeah. in terms of how athletes were being perceived, how they were talked about. You got to remember 17 years ago, you also have a whole bunch of NBA stuff going on, mm -hmm. too, in terms of the dress code. Mm -hmm and all the other little shenanigans that were still hanging on in terms of how certain pockets of society were looking at this predominantly Black league in the NBA. And I just think that Joe Buck, to your point, would have had to address what he has said about Randy Moss and what he didn't say about the Packer fans yeah. that game. He would have had to apologize. Yeah. And justifiably so, because... If you're going to get upset and act like Queen Victoria, I would have thought it would have been actually seeing people moon players and not a player fake mooning the fans who mooned him first. When I remember watching, I thought, wait, does he think that he actually pulled his pants down entirely and is running around <laughs> pantsless throughout right. the end zone? I think that would be a different circumstance. And Sans, one might even call that a disgusting act, depending on your personal kink. Who am I to say? Clearly was just pantomiming it. Clearly was just right. kind of having fun. With it. The real question, I don't know if Buck has ever really addressed, did he actually find it disgusting or did he feel like this is the sort of thing I'm supposed to be doing? Remember, he's relatively new. 
right. to the NFL broadcast beat at that time. Fox right. is he works for Fox. He works That's for Fox. All you and, need to say yes, and I I know that now still some would argue that there's a difference between Fox Sports and Fox. I think that line is clearly blurring a little bit, but at the time I think a it blurred bit. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it blurred a lot, obviously. All right. Was Joe Buck play acting? Was he like, I'm supposed to do this because I'm the voice right. of the NFL? I'm protecting the shield. Yeah, I'm trying to show them that I'm a grown up and that uh, I take this job seriously and this is the NFL. I feel like whenever he talks about it, he never actually acknowledges, like, wait, but why did but you why? say that? Right. Why did you say that? And I think a lot of it does have to do with the perceptions of Moss. I remember when Moss came into the NFL. Oh, this guy got kicked out of this school and then went to this school. And now he ended up at Marshall. He's a troubled guy. We'll see if he's an issue in the league. And you go back and look at the incidents and he got in a fight because someone called his friend a racial slur. And he got and he got kicked out for having weed in his system. It, it speaks to how differently those things are covered now. That perception was clearly there of this true troubled guy. And I think that is what led to Joe Buck to feel not only that he could say that, but almost like he was supposed to say that. He leans into the school marm aspect of it now, which I get. It's really school marmy and really kind of dumb. But I agree. There's something larger about it. I was like, you just pulled Joe Buck. Here I have I'm Joe not, Buck right, I'm right now. I'm not even sure, Will, if he's, if he... Is aware? Yeah. was even cognizant yeah. of that dynamic. I think to your point, he probably was just following what he thought he should be saying. Yeah. Because, yeah, he did bounce around a couple of schools. That's true. And sure, I guess he got into trouble. And I'm using air quotes right. when I say that. But he also was drafted a lot lower than what he should have been. Mm -hmm. Probably for those reasons. So he's extending mm -hmm. this narrative about this guy that really was greatly inflated. And as a result, he ended up, I think embarrassing himself way more than he embarrassed Randy Moss. Particularly because Randy Moss had overcome all of that stuff, had gotten to the league, and was instantly the most exciting player in the league. <laughs> Jerry Rice is the best wide receiver of all time. But when Moss was at his absolute peak, he was faster oh. and taller than everybody. He could he could throw the ball up. He always knew Moss was going to catch it. He had yep. clearly proven himself and proven everyone that believed that he was going to be a problem wrong, but and he's still fighting it once he gets in the league. Okay, LZ, let's move on to our games of the week. Give me your game of the week. We talked about it earlier in the podcast, Will. It's Niners versus the Green Bay Packers. This is put up a shut up time for Aaron Rodgers in so many ways. He's been able to be covered by the fact that the Green Bay Packers haven't done a great job in giving him the wide receivers that he's asked for. We all know what happened this summer with him not wanting to come back to the team and this so-called agreement that this will be his last year in Green Bay. Well, you're the MVP, likely. You got the number one overall seed. It might even snow for you. Who knows? <laughs> There's no reason why you should not win this game except you're facing a team you've never beaten in the postseason. So I'm excited to see what gives. Is it he continues the losing streak or does he finally get over the hump and finally gets his way back into another Super Bowl? It's incredible to think that someone as gifted and as talented as him, as decorated as him, as respected as him, has only managed to get to the big dance once. This will be his chance to do it again. But I don't know, man. The Packers have just... They've choked against this Niners squad, and this is a really, really confident Niners squad coming into Lambeau this weekend. So that's my game of the week. What about you? 
This is actually one of my favorite sports weekends of the year, right? When you've got really all the playoff teams left. There's two games on Saturday. There's two games on Sunday. There's no Steelers hanging around or Eagles hanging around. These are the big ones. I'm going to pick the same game I picked before. It's the Bills. Bills, Chiefs. There are certain teams, I think about all sports, the ones that back when there were news magazines, you would get the front page of Time magazine if they won the championship, right? The Cubs were that team. The Red Sox were that team. Georgia football was one of those teams. The Knicks winning a championship would be something like that. The Browns, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Bills. I think the Bills are a team, if they were to win, they're the most compelling storyline if they're able to move forward. As a team, as a storied, tortured franchise, as a team that freaking governor of the state was mocking a year and a half ago. (laughs) It's the Bills, man. This is the best Bills team that they've had in 20 plus years. And I think they've got a real chance to take the Chiefs. And if that happens, they could potentially host an AFC championship game. The idea of the Bills hosting an AFC championship game in the snow for the chance to go to the Super Bowl, that could happen this weekend. I think that's the game I'm looking forward to most. I will just add one caveat. That governor is making fun of him. Where is he now? He's not a governor anymore. Yeah, he ended up having some other issues. That's a bitch, isn't it? And finally, well, we all know there are always teams, executives, players, or officials messing up the sports. So let's dive into this weekend screw up, shall we? What is your blunder of the week? You know, the hardest part about this is trying to figure out which Kyler Murray play to choose. <laughs> There's just so many of them. You can't beat the pick six or pick four or pick four yards or whatever you're going to call it. That's the sort of thing that if Mark Sanchez would have done for the Jets, we would never, ever stop mocking him for. It would be the butt fumble times four. Now, Colin Murray is a good quarterback. I think he's going to have a good career. I'm still glad he's a quarterback for my team. But whenever the next Arizona Cardinals playoff game is, I'm going to watch it from behind something because that was rough. You name it, he blundered at that game. I am going to go back to the big D. And the play call by Mike McCarthy. Was it executed great? No, it was not. Were the refs a little bit late getting to the line of scrimmage? Yeah, sure. Should they have given the ball to the referees when they got to the line of scrimmage? Yeah, sure. Let's throw that in there. I'm going to start with, why the fuck did you have him run the football to begin with? You had two shots at the end zone. Two shots at the end zone. Even if they execute the play perfectly, which they didn't, but even if they did, that leaves you with one shot at the end zone. Why would you do that? Why? 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 That one shot wasn't going to be at the one. It wasn't going to be at the five or even the ten. Like, what? (laughs) I just couldn't believe that that was a play call. So my blunder of the week goes to Mike McCarthy for thinking that was a good idea with that few seconds left from that distance in that circumstance. Cowboy tears. So delicious. And that's our show for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to The Long Game with LZ and Leach. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on the ACAST app or wherever you get your podcasts. We are also excited to share that next week, drum roll, please. And again, this is the magic of doing a podcast. Someone will insert a drum roll right now. Isn't that amazing? We'll be doing our show next week. 
live on Twitch. So you can listen to this podcast as normal on all of your ACAST app and wherever you get your podcast. But you can also join us live on Twitch on Tuesday, January 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Go to twitch.tv slash the recount on Tuesday, the 25th, 2 p.m. Eastern to see us live. Put it into your little calendars on your phone right now. Twitch.tv slash the recount, 2 p.m. Eastern, Tuesday, the 25th. I'm waiting for you. I'm sitting there waiting for you to put in your ca- There you go. Good job putting it in your calendar. We are excited to see you there. The Long Game is produced by Pierre Bienname, Megan Burney, Rizel Guevara, and Marshall Eisen. Our engineer is Aaliyah Jackson. Music is by Gloria Tells. Sound design is by David Wilson. We'll be back next Wednesday for a breakdown of the biggest sports stories of the week. And of course, Tuesday, live on twitch.tv slash the recount, which you have put into. I know you put it in your put it in your calendar. Can you not hear me? I'm speaking directly to you, listener. Put it in your calendar right now. <laughs>